Hello and welcome to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, September 28th, 2023. The podcast that separates the facts from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's news. U.S. soldier Travis King is back in U.S. custody following his detention in North Korea. Canada's House Speaker resigns after the controversy of honoring a World War II Nazi soldier. The House GOP ties Hunter Biden's China wire transfers to Joe Biden's home. Iran claims the launch of its third-ever military satellite. The European Commission labels X, formerly Twitter, as a major hub of disinformation. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission plans to re-implement net neutrality rules. A Texas law banning some drag shows is deemed unconstitutional by a U.S. judge. The U.K.'s biggest untapped oil reserve is approved for development. Antarctic sea ice tallies another record low benchmark. And teenagers ransack Philadelphia shops in flash mob-style robberies. In our first story, the soldier who crossed into North Korea is back in U.S. custody. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, CNN, The New York Post, Politico, CBS, and the Associated Press. The White House officially announced on Wednesday that Private Travis King, the U.S. soldier who fled into North Korea in July, has returned to American custody with no concessions reportedly being made to Pyongyang for his release. King was handed over to a U.S. official at the Chinese border and then flown to Osan Air Force Base in South Korea before departing for the U.S., where he is expected to be taken to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. This comes hours after North Korea announced its decision to expel the Wisconsin native, claiming that he had confessed to illegally entering the country while under interrogation. The plan to bring him back home was swiftly formulated over the past few weeks as Swedish officials reportedly learned beforehand that Pyongyang wanted to release him, prompting diplomatic efforts to secure his safe passage home. In a message shared by a representative for the family on social media, King's mother, Claudine Gates, expressed her gratitude to the U.S. Army and all its interagency partners for a job well done while requesting privacy for the family. A celebratory homecoming that has followed the liberation of other American detainees, however, is very unlikely, as King has been declared absent without leave from the Army and faces possible military jail time, forfeiture of pay, or a dishonorable discharge. Thank you for laying out the facts for that first story, Melissa. I'm going to start our first round of narrative spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by The Messenger. The return of this troubled young soldier is an outright diplomatic victory for the U.S. With the support of Sweden to solve the issue, Washington has successfully found a way to bring King back home in good health and good spirits without making a single concession to Pyongyang. And the establishment critical narrative comes from KCNA. Though the U.S. may boast its diplomatic efforts to release King from North Korean custody in its latest propaganda stunt, The plain truth is that the U.S. soldier who illegally crossed the Korean border is only returning home now because Pyongyang has decided to expel him after the investigation into this incident was concluded. And occasionally we get statistics-based nerd narratives provided by our friends at the Metaculous Prediction community. 
They have an opinion on this story, and they think that there's a 12% chance that North Korea and South Korea will be recognized as a unified sovereign state by 2045. Melissa, have you ever tried to get out of uh, jury duty? before? Uh, no, I haven't. I've heard a way to do it like where you, when you know, when you get your jur- jury duty form, you, you fill it out kind of like you were like a maniac. You like fill it out in crayon and, you know, send it back like, oh yeah, I'm excited about jury duty. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking that's what this Travis King did once he got it picked up by the North Koreans that he just started acting like a madman. And they were like, you, you, we, we, we don't want them anymore. You can have, and then U.S. is like, well, did you want to trade? No, no, no. Just Take him, get, please. It, you know, I hate it did smell a little like that of just like, oh, no, nothing for us. Just um, here's your guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll buy a plane. We'll, we'll, we'll pay for the plane ticket, too, if that helps. Just get him out of here. And that, I mean, and for North Korea, that says something, too. And, and, you know, and Adam, by the way, the next time you want to get out of jury duty, you can just tell them, you know, you you have plans. Oh, that works, too? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, OK. I mean, they have to be important plans. That's good, because I'm running out of crayons. Yeah. OK, good. <laughs> a House speaker in Canada has resigned after honoring a Nazi World War II soldier. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, Toronto Star, CTV News, and BBC News. Canada's House of Commons Speaker resigned on Tuesday after inviting and honoring a Ukrainian man who fought for a Nazi unit in World War II. Anthony Rhoda invited the 98-year-old Yuroslav Hunka to Parliament as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited Canada on Friday and made an address to the country's legislators. Rhoda introduced Hunka as a, quote, hero who quote, fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today. However, over the weekend, it emerged that Hunka had served for the 1st Ukrainian Division, also known as the Waffen-SS, Galicia Division, or the SS 14th Waffen Division, a voluntary unit that was under the command of the Nazis and has been directly linked to carrying out crimes against humanity. That prompted Rhoda to extend his deepest apologies to Jewish communities in Canada and around the world. Despite the apology, cross-party calls for Rhoda to resign grew louder and louder as the week commenced. He ultimately did so on Tuesday, telling Parliament, quote, I must step down as your speaker. I reiterate my profound regret. Earlier in the day, Poland's education minister, Szymiszow Czarnek, said he had taken steps towards extraditing Hunka to the country. Okay, Adam, we'll begin this round of spins with a narrative A from BBC News. While it is right that Rota resigned, he is not the only one that ought to go. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau must also take responsibility for his part in this scandal and remove himself from his role. And the Globe and Mail is going to follow that up with a narrative B. After such a monumental mistake, Rhoda's resignation was inevitable. However, calls for Trudeau to also resign are wrong-headed. The mistake was the speakers alone. And there's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 52% chance that the Liberal Party will win the most seats in the next Canadian federal election. Can you imagine putting your foot in your mouth in a worse way? And you know what? I'm curious if it was him or if it was like an assistant that was like, oh, Speaker Rota, I've got the, this is going to propel you to the top. We've got Vladimir Zelensky coming in. I know 
a man who fought for the Ukrainian army against Russia in World War II. Well, oh, not in World War II. He fought in the first Ukrainian division when Ukraine was established. Oh, oh, that's what it was. But also happened to fight for the Nazis in World War II. But man, to have that come out, like, because nobody had any idea. Right. They just did not do the thorough background check on this 98-year-old man. I, I hope it was just his fault. I hope there's not some lowly intern who's like, oh, let me put that on my resume. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never work in this town again. <laughs> the House GOP ties Hunter Biden's China wire transfers to Joe Biden's home. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, The Daily Express U.S., Fox News, Oversight, CNN, and ABC News. In a statement made on Tuesday, Republican Representative James Comer claimed that bank wires obtained via a subpoena show Hunter Biden receiving payments from Beijing, which listed President Joe Biden's Delaware home as the recipient's address. The statement, issued on behalf of the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, claims that $260,000 was sent from Chinese business partners in Beijing to Hunter Biden in 2019. The bank wires, one of $250,000 and another of $10,000, are believed to be in relation to BHR Partners, a business created as part of a joint venture between Hunter Biden's company, Rosemont Seneca, and Chinese investment firm, Bohai Capital. Comer continued that bank records don't lie, but President Joe Biden does referring to a statement made by the president on October 22, 2020, in which Biden claimed that his son had not made money from China. So far, the six previous bank record subpoenas by the committee have only requested the records of Hunter Biden's business associates. In response, Abe Lowell, Hunter Biden's attorney, has stated that the allegation, quote, evaporates in thin air the moment facts come out. The House Oversight Committee, alongside the House Judiciary Committee, promised following November 2022's midterm elections to pursue all avenues of potential wrongdoing within the Biden family's business dealings. Thank you, Melissa. We're going to start these spins off with a left narrative provided by Daily Cause. While the entirety of Congress should be focused on the looming threat of a government shutdown, House Republicans have made up another Hunter Biden scandal. The half-baked conspiracies against the Biden family unsurprisingly fall flat on their face once again. Republicans once again wish to mislead the public with a fantasy agenda rather than dealing with genuine looming policy concerns. The New York Post gives us the right narrative. There's now no question that Joe Biden lied to the American people when claiming that he lacked any knowledge of his son's foreign business dealings. The records now show that the Biden family indeed used political office for financial advancement. These are serious allegations with gravity. The GOP must press ahead with its investigation of Hunter Biden. And the nerds think that there's a 25 percent chance that Joe Biden will be impeached by the House of Representatives. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Iran says it launched a military satellite into orbit. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Mayor News Agency, Press TV, Arab News, DW.com, and Al Mayadeen. Iran launched an imaging satellite into space on Wednesday, state media claimed, citing Communications Minister Isa Zarpour. If confirmed, this would mark Tehran's third successful launch of a military satellite in recent years. 
The NUR-3 satellite is in orbit 450 kilometers or 280 miles above the Earth's surface and was launched by the aerospace branch of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or the IRGC, using the domestically built Quazed satellite carrier, Zarapur said. The announcement comes after Iranian Defense Minister Mohammad Reza Astiani said in August that Tehran was, quote, involved in the development and launch of satellites adding that Iran planned to launch at least two domestically built satellites into space in 2023. The U.S. accused Iran of violating a U.N. Security Council resolution with its satellite launches, claiming that the technology used for a satellite launch is similar to that used to develop an intercontinental ballistic missile capable of carrying a nuclear weapon. In 2019, the IRGC which runs its own space program in parallel with Iran's regular armed forces and is answerable only to Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, was designated a terrorist organization by the U.S. After failed civilian test launches in 2019, the IRGC put the country's first military satellite, NUR-1, into space in 2020 and NUR-2 in 2022, using its homegrown three-stage Quazed launch vehicle propelled by a mixture of solid and liquid fuels. Thank you for those facts, Adam. We'll begin with a pro-Iran narrative from Press TV. The launch of the NUR-3 is the latest example of the enormous progress Iran's space industry has made in recent years, despite the illegal sanctions imposed by the West. Iran is now among the world's top 10 countries capable of developing and launching satellites. No matter how much pressure Washington and its allies exert, Tehran will continue to surprise the world in the coming years with its technological achievements to defend its national sovereignty. And we're going to counter that with an anti-Iran narrative provided by ABC News. It's an exaggeration for Tehran to celebrate the presumed successful launch of Nur 3 as further proof of its technological advancement. The regime had claimed the same in 2020, but the satellite did not provide any significant intelligence, not least thanks to Western sanctions. Iran also suffered unsuccessful satellite launches in recent years. However, since Iran could also use its space program to develop nuclear weapons, the international community should be very vigilant. And there's another nerd narrative. This one says there's a 49% chance that Iran will possess a nuclear weapon before 2030. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. So what do you think? Did he, do you think they really launched a missile, Melissa, or are they making the whole thing up, like the moon landing? Do you think they, uh, they uh, put a picture from the last missile launch or last satellite launch? No, I think what they did is that they... Um, they made one of those home rocket kits, you know, that you can make and shoot yourself, not shoot yourself, but shoot off yourself <laughs> in your backyard yeah. type thing. And then they made a bunch of miniatures. They made a bunch of little miniature flags, little miniature shrubs, and they shot off this and they put a little uh, action figure. A little miniature a dude. Judge. Yeah. That, that You know what that is? That's the one green army soldier holding the binoculars. It does look like that. I mean, he's in the same posture. That's what it is. Fake. Yeah. Well, it looks really excellent. Not AI created, but they, you know, they got they got some miniatures made. I guess Iran is is really good at, uh, at miniatures. I tell you what, if their if their uh, satellite and space program doesn't kick off, I think they've got uh, a good good future in stop motion animation. <laughs> A European Commission study finds X a major source of disinformation. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, TNW, the Associated Press, and Forbes. According to a European Commission study, X, formerly Twitter, has the biggest proportion of disinformation among six major social media platforms. The study analyzed over 6,000 unique social media posts and 4,000 user accounts across Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and X in Spain, Poland, and Slovakia. European Commission Vice President Vera Jourova, asking online platforms to address the risk of online meddling in elections and war, specifically urged X's owner, Elon Musk, to comply with EU's laws around disinformation. Arguing that X had the largest ratio of mis- and disinformation posts, Jorova said disinformation actors were found to have significantly more followers and tend to have joined the platform more recently than non-disinformation users. X has joined the EU's Voluntary Code of Practice on Disinformation in 2018, but withdrew from it following the platform's takeover by Musk in 2022. EU intends to bring the code under its Digital Service Act that X will reportedly be subjected to. Thank you, Melissa. The spin's going to start with a narrative A by TechCrunch. Elon Musk's policy changes at X have led to a tsunami of mis- and disinformation on the platform, as suggested by this report. Since his takeover, the platform has witnessed a cratering of ad revenue due to his failure to tackle toxicity in fake news. His plan to now end free access to X could trigger a final exodus of legacy users while disinformation and spammers fill the gap. Fox News brings us Narrative B. X has witnessed a much-needed course correction since the takeover by Musk as he eased restrictive and authoritarian content policies. He has also made the platform much more streamlined. Musk has also been a champion of free speech, and under his leadership, X has become a true digital town square. And the spins are going to stop on a nerd narrative by Metaculus. They think that there's a 51% chance that X will tag the New York Times tweet as misinformation before 2025. Elon, we know you're listening, man. Good luck to you. Stay strong, brother. <laughs> I just imagine that there's, there's a world where all social media just becomes disinformation and spam and ads, and that's it. And nobody's talking to anybody anymore. I'm seeing a transition where regular news, other than shows like ours, of course, um, are, are becoming in, entertainment uh, resources, but then the comedians who are mocking the news are actually telling a more accurate story about what's going on. I may or may not have only gotten my news from a comedy show in college. John Stewart is king. I didn't want to name it. I'd be happy to hear that John Stewart's listening to our show. You are the king, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the inspiration, sir. I don't want to out myself, <laughs> but... If anybody knows John who's listening, please tell John to listen to the podcast. Yes, please. <laughs> The FCC plans to reinstate net neutrality rules. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Verge, Wired, CNN, and The Hill. On Tuesday, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, announced plans to reinstate the Obama-era net neutrality rules annulled under former President Donald Trump. The move comes a day after Democrats took majority control of the five-member FCC, for the first time since President Biden took office in January of 2021. According to FCC Chair Jessica Rosenworcel, the vote on the reinstatement of net neutrality rules is scheduled to take place on October 19th. Net neutrality rules, initially adopted in 2015, 
classified broadband as a public utility service and required Internet Service Providers, or ISPs, to provide equal data access and speed to all traffic. Rosenworcel said the FCC intends to designate Internet service as, quote, essential telecommunications and prevent ISPs from using, quote, fast lanes that advantage certain sites over others. The draft rules would also block ISPs from, quote, unreasonably interfering or unreasonably disadvantaging consumers from going where they want and doing what they want on the Internet. Thank you, Adam, for the facts, and we'll start the round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from Verdict. Net neutrality is putting consumers first. All Internet users should have equal access to online content without ISPs interfering. Net neutrality also promotes freedom of speech, encourages democratic participation, and prevents censorship. The FCC must prevent ISPs indulging in business practices that perpetuate inequality on the Internet. And Nikai Asia is going to counter that with an establishment critical narrative. The federal government shouldn't micromanage or throttle an open competitive Internet. Current net neutrality rules are outdated give the FCC too much control over the ISPs and make it difficult to innovate or expand networks. Reinstating net neutrality is futile. Today's internet is complex and changes quickly, so any adjustments will become obsolete as soon as they are established. And the nerds have another prediction here saying there's a 50% chance that at least 72.2% of the world's population will use the internet in 2025. A Texas judge rules against restrictions on sexually oriented performances. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Fox News, NBC, CNN, and KEYE CBS Austin. A federal judge in Texas struck down a state law that restricted sexually oriented performances on public property or in the presence of minors, ruling that limits on such performances, including drag shows, are unconstitutional. The legislation in question, Senate Bill 12, doesn't mention drag shows by name, but some critics say it could allow the state to target the LGBTQ plus community since it refers to a male performer exhibiting as a female, or vice versa, as a sexually oriented performance. Reagan-appointed U.S. District Judge David Hittner acknowledged that not all people will like or condone certain performances, but added that the Texas law impermissibly infringes on the First Amendment and chills free speech. Texas Governor Greg Abbott first signed the bill into law in June, and Senate Bill 12 went into effect on September 1st. Hitner's ruling now prevents the state from enforcing the regulations, but the bill's sponsor, Texas State Senator Brian Hughes, said he would continue to fight for the bill's legality. The American Civil Liberties Union of Texas and Baker Botts LLP filed the lawsuit on behalf of several LGBTQ groups and a drag performer known as Bridget Bandit. Melissa, thanks for the facts. As you can imagine, there's going to be some politically motivated spins attached to this story. The Democrats are going to start their narrative, and it's provided by the New Republic. Not only did this discriminatory bill infringe on the rights of LGBTQ plus performers, but it was also so overly broad in scope that it could lead to a wide range of issues beyond just targeting drag performers. Thankfully, a federal judge saw through this assault on the First Amendment and struck it down. Here's the Republican narrative from the post-millennial. 
Contrary to criticisms, this bill doesn't seek to target the LGBTQ community, but rather to protect children from inappropriate content, regardless of who circulates it. This ruling, however, prioritizes the interests of adults over the defense of America's youth. Texas and the U.S. as a whole must keep fighting for its minors. The U.K.'s biggest untapped oil reserve is approved for development. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, BBC News, CNBC, Sky News, and The National. The UK's Northeast Transition Authority on Wednesday approved Norway-based energy company Equinor to develop the Rosebank oil and gas field, located northwest of the Shetland Islands in the North Sea. Though oil production in the UK has declined in the last 20 years, the industry still employs over 200,000 people. The government says it will invest £6.3 billion, or about $7.6 billion, into companies contracted to build it, including Equinor, as the major stakeholder, and Ithaca Energy, with a 20% holding. Equinor says the development of Rosebank, which is the largest untapped oil field in the UK, will occur in two phases and create £8.1 billion, or $9.8 billion, of direct investment. It also expects the startup stage to occur between 2026 and 2027, estimating a combined collection of 300 million barrels of oil for its two phases. According to the developers, this will equal a daily output of 69,000 barrels of oil and 44 million cubic feet of gas, which would be roughly 8% of the UK's total output. While the government says the project will be used for energy security, most of the oil will likely be sold to Europe and re-imported as refined products. While Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt said they'll, quote, still need oil and gas for decades, while simultaneously, quote, accelerating renewables and nuclear power, the hashtag Stop Rosebank campaign argues the oil field will produce over 200 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. In response to the announcement, which followed Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's announced plans to roll back fossil fuels and push renewables, shares of Ithaca and Equinor rose 7.2% and 0.9% respectively. Thanks, Adam. We'll start this round of spins with a left narrative from Climatalk. Despite previous successful campaigns to stop oil field drilling, like that of the Cambo oil field last year, the UK government has shown it's still willing to put oil industry profits over the environmentally literate will of the people. This is a devastating setback in the fight to end fossil fuel burning. But the fight must not stop until Britain has secured a clean energy future for incoming generations. And left narratives are typically followed up with right narratives, and this one's provided by Gov.uk. The UK, even under the Conservative Party, is still devoted to achieving net zero emissions by 2050. However, Sunak's government is also aware that you can't simply ban working Britons from driving gas cars or using oil burners, as that would absolutely destroy them economically. The UK, in line with its neighbors like Germany, is on a decades-long path to rolling back fossil fuels in a strong but careful manner. In more climate news, the Antarctic sea ice hits a record low. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, The Washington Post, Al Jazeera, Reuters, Bloomberg, and Fizz. 
On Monday, the U.S. National Snow and Ice Data Center, or NSIDC, announced that the sea ice in the waters that surround Antarctica reached a new record low this past winter. During the changes in seasons in the Antarctic region, sea ice grows and retracts and is measured by its maximum coverage at the conclusion of winter. The sea ice reaches its minimum in February and should reach its maximum in mid-September. As of September 10, the maximum sea ice coverage had maxed out at 6.55 million square miles. During the winter, the sea ice coverage dipped as low as 379,000 square miles, or an area similar in size to Texas. Sea ice loss can impact wildlife, including penguins, that depend on sea ice for migration and breeding. In addition, a low level of sea ice cover also means a reduction in sunlight reflected back into the atmosphere that can exacerbate the warming of Earth. Cecilia Bitts, a climate scientist specializing in sea ice with the University of Washington, said the last three or four months now is nothing like we've seen before or would have expected ever. She went on to say, this tells me that the climate change we're seeing is outside our range of experience and can't be explained by natural variability. Some experts aren't comfortable blaming sea ice loss on global warming, and some climate models have historically had challenges linking Antarctic sea ice to broader trends. Melissa, thank you for sharing those alarming facts. We've got a narrative A spin to start it off, provided by Science Times. Climate activists are wrong when they claim sea ice loss is a significant concern. There are economic gains to be made as the ice recedes as the Arctic will become the new frontier for companies willing to commit to exploration. A significant portion of the globe's undiscovered oil, gas, and mineral supply is in the polar region. The benefits may outweigh the costs when ice melts. Narrative B is from the Washington Post. The loss of sea ice will forever change the landscape and humanity. The rapid reduction in sea ice will lead sunlight to be trapped on Earth's surface, further warming the seas and promoting more sea ice loss. Warming seas will become rising seas, leading to more problems. Adding sea ice loss to the climate equation creates a bleak result. And we're going to wrap it up with a nerd narrative, and they think that there's a 50% chance that the minimum Antarctic sea ice extent will be at least 2.37 million square kilometers by 2030. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Philadelphia teens ransack stores in flash mob robberies. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Inquirer, Associated Press, USA Today, and Al Jazeera. More than 20 people were arrested Tuesday after groups of teenagers broke into several stores in downtown Philadelphia, stealing merchandise and vandalizing property. The flash mob-style activity began shortly after the conclusion of a peaceful protest that was held in response to a judge's decision to dismiss charges against a police officer who shot and killed Eddie Irizarry through a rolled-up car window. John Stanford, Philadelphia's acting police commissioner, stressed that the looting was not related to the protest, calling the rioters criminal opportunists. Police appeared to have contained the criminal activity by midnight Tuesday. Irizarry's shooting attracted national attention because body cam footage of the incident contradicted prior police accounts. Thank you, Adam, for the facts, and we'll start this round of spins with a Republican narrative from Breitbart. 
Big Democrat-run cities like Philadelphia bring this activity on themselves with their decriminalization policies that have empowered people to commit crimes without fear of punishment. Types of activity like coordinated flash mob robberies are a feature, not a bug, for Democrats who think that their reckless policies will help them at the polls. And that's going to be countered with a Democratic narrative by New York Times. Republicans should stop politicizing crime, which is up across the nation. It just so happens that Democrats are in charge in most cities, where crime is naturally higher because of density and other factors. But there are plenty of Republican-led cities dealing with a crime surge. The economy, social services, and other aspects of society affect crime rates more than the political party in power. And the nerds have the final say today with the prediction that there's a 55% chance that there will be 100 or more homicides in Portland, Oregon in 2023. I just went there last weekend. Were you homiciding people? I wasn't homiciding. I was doing comedy. Thank you for listening to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, September 28th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and we figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Verity, visit our website, verity.news. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity. Bye.